0: Good morning and a blessed Lord's Day to each of you here today. What a joy and a privilege to be together all in one place. And for those of you that are joining us online, we are so grateful that you are with us and part of our online family. And as always, it's a real treat to celebrate special days like Father's Day. And to those fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers... We express our deepest gratitude today. Let's show them our appreciation, if you would, please. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Now, our topic today is both biblical and practical. Because it is so practical and there's so many moving parts to it, I do hope and pray that you will get a good understanding of the subject. Hopefully more than the three boys I read of this week. Three little boys were boasting about their fathers as little boys are apt to do. One said, my father is a college professor. And when talking about a subject, only 10 persons in the whole world can understand him. And the second boy bragged, he said, my father is a brain surgeon. When talking about surgery... Only five people in the whole world can even grasp what he's saying. The third boy said, my father is a pastor. And when he is preaching, nobody understands what he is saying. Now, I hope that's not the case for us this morning. I hope that we actually understand. Because the seven principles from Proverbs that we're going to talk about this morning are just an absolute treasure of information. Now, on Sunday mornings, uh, we don't uh, typically get the opportunity to focus on something like parenting or fatherhood, so it's a special joy. Unfortunately, the society that we live in today, the high priority of fatherhood is summarily being attacked. The result has been catastrophic so-called LGBTQIA, and I don't know how many more they're going to add, but the so-called groups like that and others with them, the media, higher education, and others proudly supporting those groups have attacked the male role with devastating force. And we should be warned about that because the Bible is very clear. When a father sins, it takes three or four generations to root out that evil. But there's good news. And that's what we're claiming here this morning. And that's the exact same thing that God encouraged his people with. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, and verse number nine, he said, know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, not Balaam and not Molech. Jehovah is God, the faithful God that keepeth covenant and mercy. He keeps his promises with them that love him and keep his commandments, listen to this, to a thousand generations. Whereas the evil of one generation might be visited three or four generations. God promises that what we do today when we love god and are faithful to our faithful god god says that a thousand generations will prosper and be blessed after us i tell you one thing that is a tremendous blessing to know when we have a nation of godly fathers there is a wonderful trickle-down effect it impacts the mothers it impacts the sons and the daughters everybody is blessed Now, during this past year, our country and others around the world have had a terrible health crisis, and as a result, there has been a lot of shortages. We are told there are things like chlorine and rental cars that are now in demand, and even more serious things like bacon and grape nuts and toilet paper. They supposedly are a shortage of that. But I will tell you something here this morning. There is something I think it's even a greater shortage. And after listening to most of our governmental leaders, it is a shortage of common sense. The Bible calls that wisdom. There is a shortage of wisdom. Now, there is one book in the Bible that is dedicated to this shortage of common sense. It is called the Book of Proverbs. And so that's going to be our focus this morning. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. As fathers go, so go nations, and so goes history itself. And so this morning, we're going to look at seven principles from Proverbs for our sons, and yes, for our daughters, seven principles wise principles. Let's all bow our heads forward to prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. I bless you. I praise you. What a privilege to speak to these precious saints of God. Thank you for the wonderful music. Lord, my heart was lifted. Oh my goodness. Lord how I thrilled at the reminder of your goodness and your greatness. And Lord, we this morning ask you to move into this place. Give us spiritual ears to hear. And give us, Lord, the grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. The book that we're going to be focusing on, if you have your Bible, you can just kind of open it to it, or if you have an electronic Bible, you can just kind of get to that, is the book of Proverbs. Get your pen out, start writing what I'm about ready to say, because you need to know this. What is a proverb? A proverb is an eternal principle stated in in concise terms. It is wise in content and concise in its form. Brief enough to be remembered, wise enough to be effective. That's what a proverb is in Scripture. Now we've all heard about proverbs in our secular world, wise sayings in our English language, mostly from our heritage that Dates all the way back several hundred years to Europe. Things like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I'm sure that's probably typically true. Not sure. Or how about this one? Don't put off for tomorrow what you can do today. Usually a good idea. Sometimes not a good idea. How about this one? Old habits what? Die hard. And so these are Proverbs. The reason we know them is because they're short. We know them because they have some wisdom to them that stick in our mind. And so God's used this form of teaching. There are many forms of teaching in scripture. There is dialogue, uh, there's poetry, there's music, there's bombastic, you're a deadbeat Uh, snake in the grass kind of preaching. Jesus did some of that. I mean, there's all kinds of teaching and we need it all. Sometimes we need a good slap upside there with a two by four. Other times we need the beautiful balm of Gilead and the poetry found in scripture. But while the world's proverbs are mostly accurate, here's the wonderful thing we can remind ourselves of. God's proverbs are 100% tried and true now the world knows a lot about these power of mottos slogans taglines sound bites the music industry for example counts on the power of short lyrics top songs are played everywhere you go into a store you go into a starbucks you get in your car you go to a mall go to airport Pretty much wherever you go, without you realizing, there are messages being played with the vehicle of music. And that has a way of kind of sneaking beside our defenses. Sometimes people say, well, I don't really pay attention to those. And young people often say that about the modern songs. Oh, I don't listen to the words. I just like the beat or I like the music, whatever. But the fact is, it is often controlling the mind. In fact, you can can do a little test. You can uh, get the top 10 songs, get those, a few of the lyrics, then begin saying just a few of the lyrics and see if the young people around you can finish the lyrics. Almost every one of them can finish all of those lyrics, every one. Maybe they don't listen to the music, but somehow, somewhere, someplace, it is getting into the minds of people. It is constantly working on the spirit. These are short, worldly problems as they were. The Academy of American Pediatrics did a research, and they found that teens who listen to music with degrading, Words are two times as likely to engage in premedal sex. Yes, the fact is, proverbs are powerful, but thank God it's equally true that God's proverbs are very, very powerful. And so, thank God that they inspire holy scriptural living. Now, Solomon was clear if we submit humbly to every biblical proverb, Incredible blessings will follow. Just look at Proverbs 22 and verse number four. By humility, humbling ourselves, listening, and the fear of the Lord, a healthy respect for God. Notice what follows. Riches, honor, and life. You'd say, well, Pastor, that's talking about spiritual riches. Well, it, I'm sure it is. There is a faith that is built when we have a humble heart. There is a tremendous grace that comes into our spirit as we are people that fear the Lord. But I'm very confident that the right uh, understanding of this scripture is not especially referring to those eternal riches. It's talking about earthly favor. And I can tell you, I wouldn't mind that at all. I wouldn't mind having some earthly favor. Now, What is the best gift you can give your father on Father's Day? Besides bacon or In-N-Out Burger, that's where we're going after the service for sure. And uh, I still got a couple little gift cards from Christmas or sometime and I am going. And uh, I don't go to Disneyland, I go to In-N-Out Burger. But what is the best Father's Day present you can do? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It is found right here in chapter 10, verse 1. A wise son and daughter, of course, makes a glad father. He may not even know that that's why he wants to be so happy, but I'm telling you, a wise son or daughter makes a glad father. And a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Now, on this Father's Day, all of us need to rethink the priority of teaching somehow. Maybe not in a classroom or seeing out with a notebook, but however, to communicate, to impart the importance of these seven principles from Proverbs. Seven key lessons. Now there are more, but I would say that these are seven lessons that I believe are so practical and yet so powerful for their spiritual life. And so let's get into those. I hope that you got your pencil or you got your fingers ready to type. You can go right on the app and type it in there Then you can email yourself a copy, or I think you can even keep it on there. You'll always have it because uh, these are the kind of principles that we want to continue to teach our family. What is the first lesson we want to teach our son and certainly our daughter? And that is to fear his God, to fear his God. Chapter one, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Everything good starts with a healthy respect for God and His Word, otherwise known as serving God. What do you serve today? Son, what are you serving? What is the thing that you live for? God or sports? God or your education? Certainly not ourselves. The golden rule of life, The primary objective is to have a healthy respect of God. God is to be feared, reverenced, and hallelujah, he is to be enjoyed and loved. Notice what the Holy Spirit adds in this verse. Yes, that's the first thing is to fear God, but there is a little uh, little qualifier uh, on the end of that. Fools despise wisdom. Without any apologies, the Holy Spirit just simply says it as it is. If you are an atheist, you're a fool. And I just say that as clear as I can. I hope there's no misunderstanding. If you are an atheist, you are a fool. We're not saying you're not nice. We're not saying you may not do nice things or even a pleasant person to be around. But it is a fact that you are a foolish person. Anybody who rejects scripture is classified as a foolish person. What should we do? We should impart to our children many things about God. One of the things we can do is to tell them of the attributes of God. Many men brag on their truck. Oh boy, I tell you one thing, this has got 300 horsepower. Many men will brag on their boat or on their sails uh, that they made. But all of us need to brag on God. And that's why over the last uh, couple of months, we've been talking about the attributes of God. This is just a series bragging on God. I want to tell you how good the Lord is. Throughout this series, we've talked about the fact, for example, that God is eternal. Time has absolutely no control over our God. He is free to do whatever and whenever he wants to. He is faithful. His utter dependability, the antithesis of everything fickle and fluctuating about this present world. He is a foreknowing God. Not only does he know things beforehand, but he allows it to happen. He gives consent. Our God is a good God. He is not indifferent, undecided, or absent. He is fully involved. For everybody's good because he's good. So much more. We talked about the fact that God is good. There are people who are ethical, there are people who are even moral, but there's only one who is absolutely holy. He is immutable, he never changes. He is just, always does the right thing. He is loving and merciful, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. These are just some of the things we've talked about. Get that series, get those notes. Or go online and get it in your head again and then teach the attributes of God. In fact, uh, if the Lord uh, gives me the strength, or I should maybe say if I would uh, appropriate the Lord's strength, maybe a better way to say it, I'd be able to put it all together. I'd like to put that together in a book form. This actually is what our Catholic friends call catechism. That's not a Catholic word. That's just an English word that means training, catechism. There are evangelical catechisms, and some of our parents have those. A good thing to have. In addition to you just talking about the Bible, maybe have a little attribute of God. Today, children, we're going to talk about that God is holy. God's word is true. Yes, every word is true. As the children were growing up, we'd have this little catechism, and we had things that they would uh, quote back to us. But there are three things I think that fearing God means this morning. Number one, I think it means worshiping faithfully. That is, on the Lord's day, you and I will be in person, in church. That is a non-optional part of our life. If I am not sick, if I am not working, or if I'm not dead, (laughs) then that's allowable. I will be in church. I am saying, folks, that when you are gone, even on vacation, you ought to be in church. I'm telling you, go to church every single Sunday that you are able. The brilliant Apostle Paul exhorted wisely Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, till I come... I come. Here's what you need to do give attendance or be in attendance. Don't waver, don't waffle, don't do anything, but you always get together. Make sure you gather in the same place. When you come, listen to the reading of Scripture. Well, I don't really need that, I can just read it on my own. I'm telling you, folks, there is something God Gives and imparts through the reading of Scripture in a group setting. If you go to church somewhere and they don't read Scripture, then don't ever go back because they ought to read Scripture. That is a scriptural church, reading Scripture to exhortation. That's preaching. There ought to be preaching, real preaching from a man of God in the house of God to the people of God, preaching. There ought to be exhortation. If you don't feel uncomfortable once in a while, then that's not a good church. You ought to feel a little bit convicted at least once in a while. Now, I know some of you folks are perfect, and uh, nothing I ever say gets under your skin. But uh, the Holy Spirit, it ought to be something that allows us through exhortation, doctrine, good, solid... uh, systematic doctrinal preaching and teaching. You'd say, well, it's not really exciting, folks. It doesn't say, till I come, make sure you go to an exciting church. Now, I believe the greatest exciting at all is God's word. And I don't know, I know some kinda need all that emotion, folks, and I'm glad for emotion. I'm, I get excited and sometimes may not show it or whatever, but I will tell you, folks, this is what makes for a solid family. When our sons and daughters look at us, do they see a faithful worshiper? I will tell you, whatever patterns of worship we establish is likely what they will do. It's highly unlikely that they will be more faithful than we are. Now, what grade is our Christianity? Do we have a C, a B? Well, it's really quite easy to have an A plus Christian. Perfect? No but one who is serious about their faith. We've been talking about the 3 B's over the last few months. And that is to believe on Christ. Believe he is your savior. Then to be baptized and then to belong. That's why here in a few weeks we're going to have our next uh, new members class. And if you're not a new member, uh, if you're not a member of this church and you've been a regular tender, come. Why not just join? What would be the harm of belonging to a New Testament Bible-believing church. That is A plus. That's the kind of grade I want. Worshiping faithfully. Second thing I think fearing God means is reading consistently. As evidenced by your worn out Bible, will your children treasure your Bible when you pass away? That worn out Bible, there is no gift that you could give your child Anymore. Now you may be an electronic person. That's pretty much what I am mean anymore. That I can make the things so much bigger, study things. But you ought to make sure that you have a worn-out finger or carpal tunnel because you've been looking at your Bible so much. Folks, our lifestyle ought to validate that we are a Bible-loving person. It is vital to our health, like good food. Jesus said in Matthew four and verse eight, or excuse me, four and verse four he answered and said, men shall not live by bread alone. Now I think I can almost live by some of that good bread, but I'm telling you, we live by the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. Do you eat regularly? Well, I think you probably do. Do you eat good food daily? In my case, I eat hourly. <laughs> when my wife was around me, she said, I can't believe how much you eat. How often do you eat? Well, I don't know. And, uh, we go on a little trip, and uh, I've got a big old giant snack bag because you never know. Might be out in a desert someplace, you know, down there in Lodi, downtown. And you never know. It just might be rough. <laughs> but do we have that much excitement about making sure we have our Bible with us or make sure we can get into the Word of God worshiping faithfully, reading the Bible consistently, and number three, praying constantly? So aware of God's constant presence that we talk to Him about everything, nothing too big, nothing too small. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs three five. Trust in the Lord. The word trust there means in the Hebrew language means to lay down helplessly, face down. <laughs> That's what the word means. Put your face down and say, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. Do what you will. I trust you in this matter. Don't lean in your own understanding. Make sure that our decisions are biblical. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. All your ways acknowledge him. And if you have never learned to pray the scriptures, please do it. It is transforming. There are some good books out there that will maybe encourage you on how to learn to pray the scriptures, but I will tell you, it transformed my prayer life 30 years ago. From having a hard time praying, to honestly, sometimes in the middle of the night, thinking, I just can't wait till I get up, because I really wanna share some things with the Lord. I wanna talk to the Lord. And when you begin to pray scripture back to God, it is absolutely transforming every father Every mother needs to know how to acknowledge God by praying the scripture. Trusting him. Praying the scripture back to God. You'd say, well, how do I do that? The Lord is my shepherd, for example. Lord, I just call you Lord today. You are master. Oh, God, you're master. and I. Today, Lord, I just say to you, you are Lord of my money. You are Lord of my day. You are... The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I thank you for saving me so many years ago. You're my savior. You're my shepherd. Thank you, Lord, for being my shepherd. How many times through this time in my life you have shepherded me? Well, if you start doing that for a few minutes pretty soon, you're just going to be weeping. You're going to be lifting your hands. That's praying scripture. You just pray it verse by verse, phrase by phrase, word by word. You may not get a long way, but I will tell you, it will transform your life. And so the first thing that we ought to teach is to fear his God. The second thing we want to teach our son is to guard his heart. What are we going to tell our grandsons and our granddaughters? Guard your heart. Now, in life, there are nice things to know. Like, where are the scissors, honey? Or how to cook an egg. Every boy needs to know how to cook an egg. But if you forget those things, it's not the end of the world. But there are other actions in life, even seemingly small, that you simply cannot forget. If you forget, they can be disastrous, if not deadly. You must find a way to do these things. We cannot say, oh, I forgot. That's, you can't do that. Oh, I just forgot. There are some things it's okay to forget. You can't cook an egg, okay. But friends, there are some things in life you can't say that about. You just can't. Don't do it. Don't be so slothful that you say, I forgot. Friends, you cannot forget this. When our sons, both of my sons were young, we would teach different things, even some of the daughters. I don't know all the daughters got this lesson. But we talked about how to change a tire. Now, I know how you change a tire. You just call AAA. That's how you change a tire. Who needs to change a tire? But you need to know how to change a tire. So you make sure you, you know, block the car, put it in park. You know, you loosen the lug nuts before you put the car up. Then you put it up. Then you spin them off and you do everything. But the last step. You can't forget. You just can't. And that is once it's back down on the ground, then you take that wrench and you give it that final tug. Because hand tightening, even tightening on the wheel, is not going to do it. You have got to get it on the ground and then you've got to reef on it. That's my dad's word. You've got to reef on it. You get that thing and boom. Because you'd say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is potentially deadly to have loose lug nuts. You can't forget your lug nuts, folks. That's why Solomon said in verse 3 of chapter 3, don't let mercy and truth forsake you. Don't do it. Don't say, I forgot. You can't forget these things. Some things, yeah, you can. You can't forget this. Bind them about your neck. Write them on the table of your heart, do whatever you got to do, but tighten those love nuts. If you've got to take a scribe and carve it in the table of your heart, then do it. Why? Because verse four, you will find favor and good understanding. Some translations make that word success in the sight of God and man. Folks, There are some lug nuts that need tightening. What are they? God says there's two of them. There are two lug nuts that you just got to tighten. You cannot afford to forget this. The first one, let not this lug nut be loose. Don't ever let mercy depart from you. And second of all, don't ever let truth forsake you. Mercy. What is mercy? The Hebrew word, hasid, it is the word that means love. But it's more than that. In fact, it's one of the most beautiful Old Testament words. You've maybe heard people preach about it before. It means merciful is translated faithful love, or actually the most accurate, loyal love. Don't ever forget that you must have a loyal love for Jesus. Keep Jesus, number one. I will never let Jesus out of my eyes. He is my, he's number one in my life. Mercy, loyal love, and then truth. An unshakable belief that all scripture, reliable, dependable, accurate, 100% truth. There has never been a greater assault on our sons and daughters, their minds and their hearts than right now. It's everywhere today through the fake social justice that's being perpetrated, through false science, the torrent of error is mind-boggling. And just when we thought the state schools were at an all-time low in what they've been training, now there's the critical race theory and 1619 curriculum. Folks, I'm telling you, what is happening today is an all-out assault on truth and mercy that's why my loyalty is jesus my truth is the word of god and that's what he said you cannot ever let those slip we face a formidable task but thank god we have these wonderful proverbs fear god guard his heart and number three honor his parents the third thing we must teach is to honor his parents all through scripture all through Proverbs honor listen to your father's instruction notice it does say father now I would suggest that it's of course both parents but specifically a father needs to be a spiritual leader verse 1 of chapter 4 here really listen once in a while children the instruction of your father he may not just sit down and give you a 30-minute sermon he might say a few words here and there. He might live out, hear what he's saying by what he lives. Whatever the case, really pay attention. It says, and attend to no understanding. Verse 2, for I give you good doctrine. Now, if there's good doctrine, by default, there has to be bad doctrine. And folks, there is a lot of bad doctrine out there. And never, never so much as I've seen of late. Forsake ye not my law. There are certain laws that are non-negotiable. These are facts that you just have to say that's the way it is. We all accept that in math than other things. Well, we should certainly accept that in morals. There are certain laws that are truth. If your parents gives you an absolute, don't waver on it. There are certain things that are laws. Verse 3. I was my father's son. Notice the nurturing, tender, only beloved in the sight of my mother. A father and mother's great love makes them share truths. If you love them, then we will instill in their heart the fact that you must obey parents. Here's what I would tell our children. Unless an action that I'm telling you is immoral illegal or unbiblical, you must do what I say. And you must do it right down to the T. I mean everything. Many years ago, our church was privileged to have Mike and Ruth Green with us. They, uh, he wrote a song called Obedience. Frank Garlock took it and Patch the Pirate made it well-known it is called obedience. And nobody can capture the essence of obedience better than in this song. And so I've asked uh, for the John and Nancy, and uh, I don't know if we have the words. Oh, there we go. All right. He's going to sing it. But I want you to, add, you can sing it with us. I hope you will. It's a catchy little tune. But uh, it has all the essence of obedience. Listen to it. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily, yes. Action is the key, do it immediately, joy you will receive. show sure that you believe now you got to spell it oh, oh. Keeping your attitude right on the narrow way. For if we believe the word we receive, we always, always will obey. Amen. Thank oh, you. Pretty cool. Oh good. Oh, oh you, you go. They, they can't spell. So oh, okay. thank you. So All right. I already noticed that, so thank you so much. Alright, let's give them a hand, please. Alright, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't that capture the essence of obedience? I know there's like 10 different aspects of obedience there. You'd say, well, that sounds easy enough, Pastor. Well, amen. Sometimes it's easier saying than living, wouldn't you agree? You'd say, well, why is obedience so hard? Well, here's why. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Oh, dear Lord, I wish I didn't ever read that. A sad fact of humanity. Foolishness, disobedience is in the life of every child. No child escapes it. People say, oh, that child. No, nope. every child is, has a disobedient heart. Now, it's true. Some act out a little more than others. Some are a little more assertive than others. But I wish it wasn't. I wish that verse said, disobedience or foolishness is found in the heart, ah! Uh, but it doesn't say that. Notice the word. It is bound. The actual word picture is that of something that's been tied and left for years, maybe grown into the trunk of a tree or something. It's almost, you almost cannot get it away. The mind and the soul are so intertwined with sin it is deeply stained into the fabric of life. Now, there's only one way to get it out. Well, I will talk to my child. Good luck on that one. I'll take them to ball games. Good luck on that one. I'll go to Disneyland. Good luck on that one. We'll have a party for our children. We'll have a party when they're one, when they're one and a half, when they're two, when they're two in one month. We'll just be the best friend of our child. Good luck on that. You can kick the can down the street all you want, but I will promise you there comes a time when you are going to have to cut bait. You're going to have to do it. It is bound in the heart of a child, and no amount of talking is going to get the job done. Loving strictness coupled with just repercussions. I hope you're writing this down. Loving strictness coupled with just repercussions repercussions, faithfully carried out, carry the wonderful promise, the rod of correction shall drive it out. Far from them. Amen. Oh, I just don't know what to do. Well, I don't know what to tell you. It's pretty clear. It's a rod of correction. No amount of talking is going to get the job done. Folks, the punishments must be done in love, and but yet they are a strong reinforcement. It's, well, I don't believe in that, okay? Society learned a long time ago that signs and talking don't work. Traffic signs are good. But it says if you speed, it says don't ever go over 70. Many people, I'm not, well, many people go over 70. 70. But I will tell you, if you get a $600 speeding ticket in Avenel on I-5, I don't know who got that, but if you get a $600 speeding ticket without having a seatbelt on, there was a reason, but if you did that and then you will obey, there is a sting that is required. Signs don't do the job. There must be punishment. Folks, a disobedient child who refuses to comply is not only a spiritual disaster, they are an antisocial personality and likely will be a criminal adult. Friends, do everybody a favor and for certainly your own home and yourself. Discipline that child. Number four, we must hurry here. We must perceive his associates. This is critical. A father must teach his sons and daughters how to stand alone. Chapter 1, verse 10, my son, oh, notice the the emotion, the dear, the emotion and feeling in that, oh, my son that I love so dearly. If sinners entice thee, rotten sinners, enticing, they don't just leave the precious life alone, they hunt for it. Scripture says, consent thou not i got to give a word for my beloved wife who is in heaven. She made Luke memorize that, and he had to do it with actions. She would say, my son, my son, if sinners entice thee, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Consent do not. I mean, he was probably one year old, and she was drilling that little sucker. And I would just sit there and... Laugh and giggle because I'm telling you what, I realized how important it was. Folks, it is unsettling, almost eerie, how untiring evil is today. Like a constant drumbeat attempting to seduce our sons and daughters and our grandchildren into anything that is wrong. They are, you can name it, they are being not just swayed, they are being enticed, seduced. Now, sometimes they threaten and sometimes they argue, but the most successful strategy is baiting the unwary. And that's why the father simply said it this way. He said, do not allow yourself to be baited. Do not allow yourself to be seduced. Consent. There you go. No one can make you sin. Well, they seduced me. (laughs) Well, They may have put a lot of pressure, but I will tell you, they didn't make you sin. You had to consent. Consent thou not. Don't get sucked into the crowd. They will always appeal on the basis of excitement, adventure. And notice how they say it. Verse 11, they say, come with us. Verse 13, we shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast an eye light among us. Let us have one purse. Here they are. Oh, it's be part of the crowd. There's only one problem with all that us talk. When you stand before God, there's gonna be no us. Uh Romans 14 verse 12 says, "'So let every one of us give account of himself to God.'" Mama not gonna be there. Papa not gonna be there. Oh, George isn't gonna be next to you. Neither is Sue. Nobody gets the privilege of having someone stand to them. Nobody gets the the right of having the heat of God's wrath. You can't phone a friend when you're at the judgment day. It has always been true. Peer pressure has been so great, but it is exponentially increasing. The prophet lamented truth had fallen in the streets. I will tell you it is like that today. Frankly, it is rare to find truth. It's not in the schools. It's not in the government. It's not in typical businesses. It is not almost any, it's not in songs. It's not in, even in science anymore. Their truth has fallen in the streets. It is rare to find truth. That's why homes and churches like this one who stand for truth are a rare privilege that you and I need to support with every ounce of energy we have because friends, it is so important to teach our children to stand alone. Number five, to regulate his passions. Our sons and daughters have God-given passions. They are hopes and desires that God places in their heart. Depending on what we do with them leads us either into tragedy or triumph. And one of the landmines is especially harmful. Chapter 5, verse 1, My son, attend unto my wisdom, bow thy near to mine understanding. Be discreet, verse 2, that thou may regard discretion, and thy lips may keep knowledge. Verse 3, the lips of a strange woman or man drop like a honeycomb. Man, I'm telling you, it is as sweet as it gets, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But you need to learn, verse 8, remove thy way far from her, don't even come close to the door of her house. The best plan is to avoid. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, there are the three Fs that constantly got God's got people, especially men, and especially and amazingly so, great men. There was the F of fame. Fame just took down so many. Saul was taken down, King Saul, by the lust for fame. Finances. The second F is finances. The third one, females. And it certainly could be the opposite sex. We could just say males. But the fact of the matter is, folks, you've got to guard your feet and guard your eyes and guard your ears. Video games, so many of them. Social media. And oh, those smartphones i'm not sure how to do it you need to get with john ridge or get with pastor luke but or some others who have that ability to tell you how to do that but i'm telling you you have got to find out a way to lock that thing to monitor it i don't know what you're going to do but you got to do something you cannot give a 12 year old boy a smartphone without any restrictions and think he is gonna be moral. What in the world are you thinking? Do not do that, friends. I mean, you might as well, back in the day they had Playboy magazines. You might as well just go get a magazine, put it on his, his nightstand and say, don't touch it. Right, sure. Folks, I don't know what you gotta do. I have no idea how they do it nowadays, but there are some people who do it right. We've got to regulate this thing. Now you say, why did you use the word regulate rather than prohibit? Because sex is not something that is to be always prohibited. You say, what? Well, it is to be abstained from before marriage, but after marriage it is to be exalted and rejoiced in. One day, years ago, uh, my car wasn't starting, and they thought it was the battery. We went and and checked it wasn't. And they said it was the alternator. It wasn't the alternator. They were were both fine. It was the regulator. The regulator is a small, relatively inexpensive piece. But back in the day, the regulator made exactly what it did. It would either give more power or less power depending on what the car needed. That's exactly how our passions are. Less or more depending on the situation. Prior to marriage, less (laughs) After marriage, that is to be treasured and to be exalted. In fact, look at what chapter 5 and verse 15, a very poetic way this matter is articulated. Drink waters out of thine own cistern. Running waters out of thine own well. We need to make sure that you get married, that you never go to another well. Well. There's only one, and that is your covenant wife or husband. Make sure that you follow the right sequence of courtship. Courtship is about getting to know one another spiritually. Are you attracted to them because they're a woman of God, a man of God? Obviously there's some physical attraction there, but mainly uh, are you attracted to their spirit? Spiritually speaking, you get to know them spiritually in the friendship stage. Then you get to know them mentally in the more as you get along and to make sure that you have a compatibility. And I think that that that's important. And then of course, later when you get married, God's wedding gift is the beautiful gift of the marriage bed. And that's when you get to know each other physically. doesn't mean you can't hold hands or something maybe when you're uh, engaged, but I think what God's saying here in all of this is just guard your heart, and regulate your passions. It is about that time, and uh, we've still got so much more. I don't think I want to rush this, and so I'll give you, for those of you who uh, may not be able to uh, come back uh, next week, uh, you'll have to watch online, but let me give you number six. I'll I'll just give you number seven as well, but uh, we'll come back. I think we'll have to come back and do this again. Verse or Number six, what's the sixth thing we want to teach? And that is to preserve, pursue his work. They need to be hard working. And then number seven, organize his finances. Organize his finances. Now, uh, we're going to uh, stop there. I can read to you just a little note, and then we're going to have a time of prayer for families, for fathers, for mothers. And so, what I may do is just finish the message next week, and then carry on with "Who Is God." We get the right to do that because we come back to church every Sunday. So, what's the difference whether we finish today or not? I just kind of leave you hanging. In 1924. President Calvin Coolidge declared that Father's Day was now a national celebration, a real good national celebration. Sonora Smart Dodd was sitting in church in 1909, listening to a Mother's Day sermon. In her heart and mind, the idea of Father's Day first Came to her mind. She had been raised by her father after her mother's death, and she wanted her father to know just how special he was. All of his sacrifices, all of his selflessness, his courage. She was very grateful. She went on a campaign to encourage the president to declare a National Father's Day. And so in 1924, Calvin Coolidge designated the third Sunday of June as Father's Day, and it has been in our nation for almost a hundred years now. Dr. James Dobson in his famous book, powerful book, Dare to Discipline said this, good fathers are made, not born. And I will tell you that I am so grateful for how God has made The amazing fathers of the home church and all of you that are here, grandfathers and everyone alike, and moms, thank you for all you've done to raise these precious children. We're going to bow our heads. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I believe the song that they've chosen is Thy Word. It's a powerful song that reminds us the importance of God's Word in our family. In a few moments, we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to begin to sing. And then I'm going to just encourage fathers, mothers, families, anyone, grandparents, feel free to come and just kneel around the altar. Some of the things we've talked about here, just say, you know what, Lord? That's what I want. That's what I desire. I commit myself to fearing the Lord. I just want you to feel comfortable coming and kneeling if you can, or else standing if not able to. Or some may just want to choose that they're in your seat.